So I would like to take your seats and we'll have our re reading. We have two readings this morning. The first is from Genesis chapter 15, a slightly edited version of it. We'll be missing out verses 13 to 16. This is the beginning of the Lord's major covenant with Abram, which resulted in Abram eventually changing his name to Abraham. But for the time being, we will call him Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall take possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And cutting to verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. We're now going to change for our second reading, which is possibly the best-known reading in the Bible. And because of that, I'm going to suggest that we all say it together and use it, say it as a proclamation. Okay, are the words up? Lovely. Shall we all stand and say this together? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. May I speak and may you hear in the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, John. What a good way to read that second reading, get everybody to do it. Well, um, today's readings are all about um, commitment. And first of all, can I just say um, what a privilege it is to be here for this confirmation service when Tom and Emily are going to be promising to be disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Big commitment. He's hiding behind the drums there, is Tom. <laughs> Emily's out there. He's got his weapons in case he's going to be attacked. But also thank you to um, those of you here, godparents, um, parents, those who, and friends who've been encouraging them on the way, praying for them, and showing by your own example what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Really appreciate um, all that you've given to help them to this place today. So it is about commitment, and confirmation just means really strengthening, being strengthened in the faith. And we're going to call down the Holy Spirit and ask God to strengthen Emily and Tom as they follow Jesus as his disciples. Uh, have we got any farmers in today? Anybody related to a farmer? Is any you? Oh, there are a few here. All right, don't worry, I'm not going to get you out the front. Okay, one or two. There's, there's a thing in, in South Cheshire, North Shropshire, I've noticed, and certainly in Cheshire, where I was from, Molpus, that when farmers made a deal, they would then go and shake hands. Do you, you recognise that, those of you? And then usually in Cheshire, they'd ask for a bit of luck money too to go with it. But there's something about, you know, striking the deal, you know, sharing your saliva together. Very pleasant, isn't it? That somehow, you know, we're committed to this, we're right in. Now, when I was a lad at school, way back, back in the 60s, there were lots of cowboy and Indian uh, films on at the time. And, and when we were at school, we did something in the playground. I don't know if there's anybody here. There's a few here out my age, not many. Um, but, but we used to do this thing in the playground was to get a penknife. Oh, by the way, don't do this at school. I want health and safety. But you'd, you'd make a cut in your palm of your hand and then and let the blood come out. That's what I mean. Don't do this. This is not... And then you'd shake hands like you were blood brothers because you saw the Indians do it. Did anybody ever do that? Oh, Steve. Yeah, one or two. Yeah, three. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't look that old. Flip. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that might be it. But it's true, we did that, isn't it? Blood Brothers, we are committed. We are friends forever. Yeah, there's something about that. And the, the reading we heard in Genesis is a bit about this two-sided affair that goes on, a bit like a contract. Yeah? So, you know, I'm going to pay you 2,000 quid. You're going to put double glazing in my house. But if you don't put double glazing in my house, you're not going to get the 2,000 quid. You don't want your ass, you'll get what I promise. This is about covenant and about agreement. But Genesis 15 is slightly different. 
and I just want to get to, to get to the bottom of it, to look at the biblical anthropology, woo, we might understand some of what was going on in the Old Testament between Abraham and God. So I just need two volunteers. Um, actually, I wonder if, um, well, John, you've been out once. Why don't you come out? You know what it is. And Lexi, will you come and help me, please? <laughs> I, I know, you can take your notes later. I need you. Am I on here? No, I am right. Okay. What, you're going to be two tribal leaders, okay? And what, but what we're not going to do, and you make an agreement. So what they did in Old Testament times, say they, had, they were doing a land deal, um, they would cut up a load of animals, like we heard, a heifer, a goat, and a ram, all right? You go and stand at the far end, Lexi, please. Oh, it's nice telling Lexi what to do, isn't it? <laughs> and then, but, you know, so you imagine there's been a, a heifer cut in two, and then there's a ram cut in two, and then there's um, a goat cut in two, and a couple of doves either side. So down the middle, it's all blood and guts, offal, entrails, you know, all that sort of stuff. An avenue of slippery insides and blood. And what they do, the two tribal leaders, they get one end of this avenue, and they walk through it together. And when they got in the middle, they give each other a good look. That's it. No overacting, John. Come on, move on. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Give each other a look. That's right. Oh, Lexi, I've seen you've done that before, haven't you? <laughs> Poor Andrew. Makes you feel sorry for him, almost. Now, walk back. Give each other a good look again. Lexi's a natural, isn't she, at that? Okay. Right. Okay, so that's what... Uh, you have a sit down. Just sit down for a minute. No, Lexi, you can sit down. You're going to get out again in a minute, so I'd have sat down at the back. Go, have a sit down here. So that's what they did, tribal leaders, okay? So we come to the reading we've had. Abraham is basically saying, you know, how am I going to know? You're saying I'm going to have all these descendants. Look at the stars in the sky, the grains of sand on the seashore, you're going to have all these descendants. And Abraham's saying, well, how do I know? I've got no children. And you'll remember that Terah, his dad, took him from Ur of the Chaldees, that's modern-day Basra, Can you imagine down the bottom of Iraq, and they travelled all the way up northwest in Iraq to modern-day Syria, Haran, Terah died, and then God calls Abraham with his wife, Sarah, and family to travel southwest to Mamre, to modern-day Gaza, right on the... I hope you're good at geography. Do you get this? Are you with me on the map? So you come from down there, up the Gulf, up through um, is it the River Euphrates, up to Syria, and then he's travelled, because God's called him, all the way down to Gaza... That was five years ago. Abraham was 75 years old. His wife wasn't much younger. And now he's 80 years old. Time's moved on five years. He's 80 years old. She's 75. They've got no children. God, how am I going to know that I'm going to possess the land? What's the sign? It's a fair point, isn't it? You've gone all that way with your family, uh, well, you know, the, your possessions and what have you. But he's actually got no children. And God says, let's make a covenant. So, out you come. 
John's now going to be Abraham. That might be a difficult stretch for him, but don't worry. I'm sure he'll manage. Hang on. And what happened was, God says, let's make a covenant. Cut up for me a heifer, a ram, and a goat. So you do all that. Go on, act it out. Quickly, cut them up. Okay, cuts them up. Okay, that's it. Then back again. And then what happens is the sun comes out. He has to then spend the afternoon keeping off the carrion. So you're keeping off the vultures and the crows. Bit of want waving about. Yeah, they're all coming down. They're trying to get at your meat. You've made that's it. God, you put a bit more effort into it than that, couldn't you really? Come on, down here, down here. And then, of course, you see, such a tiring afternoon, and he's not getting any younger, is he? He's not. Look at him. He's not getting any younger. And so what Abraham did was, no, 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 don't come out. You're acting. And then, so he goes and has a lie down on the rock, doesn't he? No, yeah, okay. Can you sit in the chair? Go on. And then, and then he falls off asleep. Meanwhile... Lexi, quick, back, out the top end. Come on. This is why I didn't want you to sit down next to him again. That's it, out the top. Forget that she just walked through all that blood. Never mind. And then it said there's a flaming fire pot, didn't it? Comes and comes down through the flame. So you see a red hair? A flaming fire pot. See why it had to be you, Lexi? A flaming fire pot came down between the avenue of meat. In your own time, yes. <laughs> Some of us have got lunch to get to. Come on. And the flaming fire pot came down and then it went back again. Because you're getting your exercise this morning, aren't you? So Lexi's just acting as God just for five minutes, okay? Now what's the difference between what happened between God and Abraham and the two tribal leaders? Don't shout out, put your hand up, you know what the rules are. What, what, what's the difference? Uh, yes. There's nobody to... Yeah, there's, there's nobody to stare, it's just her, isn't it? Just God. Yeah, all right, you'll get it. Give him a round of applause, well done. Yeah, that, I mean, that is the point. It's only God's involved in making the deal. Abraham doesn't do anything. He's asleep on the rock. So when it comes to making this contract between humanity and God, it's God who does everything. It's very, very one-sided. And that's a very important understanding for those being confirmed today for us as Christians. Um... And Abraham, um, we can see that this promise is fulfilled supremely in Jesus Christ. Because we heard in our second reading, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we remember how God's covenant is with his world and his people. And of course, what happened to Jesus? He died on a cross. Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us back to God. In Jesus, on the cross and by his resurrection, God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. 
So God knows we're going to get things wrong. And of course, it said the wage of sin is death. We can't wipe the slate clean, but God can. And that's what he does by giving himself. So, as you know, that Je- oh, I thought you were heckling then. That <laughs> Jesus, Jesus means God saves. So, actually, who he is and what he does are actually united. God is on a rescue mission and he loves us so much that he cannot actually let us go. It's hard for us to see as we often find it difficult really to love ourselves. You know, we can be aware of our own faults and our own failings and we're tempted to think therefore that actually we've got to earn God's love, that we've got to gain his approval, that somehow we don't deserve salvation. And the Abraham and God story proves wrong. God is absolutely dippy about his creation. He loves you and me so much, like we're his only children. You know what mothers are like with their children and some dads, you know, they're just besotted, aren't they? God is like that with us, but more so. And um, there's a famous quotation from Karl Barth, um, who wrote Church Dogmatics. He said this, He said, I'd rather be judged by God than by my own mother. I'd rather be judged by God than by my own mother. If mothers are dippy about their children, God is even more so. And that's why Jesus told all those parables about things like the lost sheep. Um, You know, he's got, had a hundred sheep and they lost one. So he, he leaves the 99 behind, goes searching for the lost. This is what God is like. And Emily and Tom, I hope you will remember this more than ever. If things go wrong and you get lost in your life, God does not think, well, I've given them time. They've gone off. I'm not bothered. God comes looking to find you if you're in trouble. And when you've got things wrong, he doesn't say, right, well, that's it. The contract's broken. I'm off. No. Because the contract was one-sided anyway. And he's going to come looking for you to help you. The biggest temptation of a Christian is to give up. That's what the evil one wants, actually. Just give up. It's all too difficult. But don't give up. When you mess up, dust yourself down, get up, and start again. And God will be there with his arms wide open to receive you when you're sorry and you need to be picked up. This is what God is like. And as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, what was he saying? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Again and again and again he said it. That's what the meaning is. Father, forgive them. As they were killing him. This is what God is like. And when the thief on the cross, remember the two thieves either side, and one says, look, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, uh, remember me. And Jesus turns to him and says, I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise 
Well, the thief didn't have to do anything, did he? He just had to recognize that here on this cross next to him was God, who'd not done anything wrong. Please, God, help me. Please, Jesus. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. We do not need to earn our way into God's good books. We can't do anything more or less to make him love us. Because he's absolutely dotty about us. The commitment is all one-sided. It's God who makes the commitment. He is the one who's head over heels in love with us. And he longs for us to join him in his work. And God loves the people of Baston Hill. Even your difficult neighbours... You know, or the people you find difficult. And even us when we're a bit difficult, he loves us. And he wants to use his church family, you and me, to be bearers of his love so they can see what he's like and come to him and see afresh and know his joy and his forgiveness. And God doesn't say everything's going to be fine. That's not what the Bible's about at all. We know that life is hard, but God promises to be with us through the difficult times. He promises not to leave us when we're in trouble. Abraham learned that God is faithful, and he calls us to be faithful to him. Emily and Tom, I pray that you will know that in your life, that God is faithful to you, and I pray that you will learn how to step out in faith like Abraham and be faithful to. May God bless you as disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen.